a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Uh, before you open your Bibles, I just want to tell you a little uh, aside. Um, when Graham came and asked me, uh, he said, um, I like, we're going to look at the book of James and uh, I've got a couple of options for you. You can either preach on chapter 3 or chapter 5. So I thought, oh, that's good. I've got a choice. So I went home and I read chapter 3. And I thought, oh, it's all about the tongue. No. And I read chapter 5. And that's all about the tongue as well. And I thought, oh no, God, if you've got a sense of humour, please don't let me do this. Because if there's one thing that I really, really struggle with, it's the tongue. And I received a message from Graham saying, I've booked you for chapter four. On the 16th. Praise God. (laughs) You know, Graham led us into chapter one and he introduced it really, really well and gave us a good background and overview. Then Adam took chapter two and it was great. I sat seriously, and listened spellbound. Last week, we had chapter three, the one that I didn't want to speak on, on tongues. And Matt Chernick took that. Now, I've heard Matt, I think, about four times do little slots on Sunday mornings. He was a total revelation. I couldn't believe it was him that was speaking. So if you haven't heard any of them yet, I advise you, get on your computer and uh, whatever you have to do, and I don't really understand it, but listen to those sermons because each one of them have been really, really good. Now, unfortunately, you're coming down to earth again. You've got me. Let's pray. Lord God, open our eyes to see your truth. That'll set us free. Open our ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And open our minds to understand and apply your word. Amen. You know, in, although uh, James is divided up into five chapters, it's really just one letter, as I'm sure you're aware And for me, I found that there's a key. There's one verse right in the very first chapter that is a a key to the whole thing, if you like. All right, you'll you'll keep on hearing it repeated, as it were, in different forms. And that's this. It's chapter one, verse twenty-two. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay? 
So let's apply that this morning. Let's not just listen, but let's apply it. I'm going to read chapter four in little snippets, all right? So just bear with me, have your Bible open and keep it open, and we'll do uh, chapter four, verses one to three to start off with. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Simple stuff, isn't it? I want. I want. What do you want? What do I want? In a church setting. I've written down some things that I want. I want to be loved. I want to be respected. I want to be appreciated. I want to be accepted and valued. And if I don't receive these things, am I going to get angry? Am I going to be resentful or jealous, bitter, disrespectful? Or even slanderous. Maybe you look around at others in the church and you covet or desire what they've got. Maybe you see someone who's married and they have such a loving wife or husband and you think, oh, I wish mine was like that. I'm sure my wife does. No, no, no. Not true, not true. Or do you see a beautiful baby and and, and think, oh, how lovely. I wish I could have a baby like that. And we've got lots of them. Or maybe you know someone that's got a well-paid job and you, if only I had a well-paid job, boy, am I struggling to make ends meet. Or even an enjoyable job, you know, because, oh, I hate going to work. It's so bad. I don't enjoy it. Or a nice home. Because where I live is not so good. That's not me personally, I'm just saying that. Yeah. Or you might think, oh, couldn't I have to do with a car? Make life so much easier. I hate waiting around for these buses. And I can't walk as well as I used to. Or maybe you want friendly neighbours. They count for a lot, don't they? Or, and this might be a bit of a sensitive one, you might desire parents that are still happily married. And who will never stop loving you. 
Or maybe it's a desire for a spiritual gift that you really envy that someone's got and you think, oh, I wish I'd got that. What are you asking God for? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. And this is uh, Jesus speaking. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anybody who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. When I looked at verse 2, it says you want something and you won't, don't get it. You kill and covet. And I thought, well, surely people in Jubilee Church don't go round killing one another. No, they don't. <laughs> well, they haven't done yet. <laughs> Please in the back, all right? <laughs> no. It's, if you like, inferring that, you know, we, we can actually decimate people with our anger. We can destroy people, can't we? In the way that we treat them. It finishes this little passage about prayer. When you're talking to God and asking for things, what are your motives? Are they purely selfish? Or are they really, sincerely seeking God and asking for what he wants? Let's read verses 4 to 6. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anybody who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he causes to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How do you feel about being called adulterous? Because James was writing to churches. He was writing to Christians. You know, adultery isn't just about having sexual relationship with a married person other than your partner. It's much more the breaking of a promise. It's the breaking of a vow. An agreement. It's good to know that our God is faithful and true 
And he does not and cannot break his word. I want to repeat that, that God does not and cannot break his word. He is totally, 100% committed to each one of us. And as a Christian, we have promised to love, honour and obey him for the rest of our days. I became a Christian when I was about seven. And regularly went to church. Was witnessing a little bit while I was at school. But the time came for me to leave school and go out into the big wide world. And I prayed loads and loads and loads about the time when I started in the civil service at the age of 16. I wanted to go into that office and I wanted everybody to know that I was a follower of Jesus Christ and I wanted them to know him too. And I really set about witnessing. And it wasn't too long before I noticed that I was a little bit out on a limb that people would talk and arrange things but somehow I was left on the outside and it hurt and I thought well why is this and then I began to look at my actions. And I don't know whether you can remember when you started work, but I went in with lots of enthusiasm and drive, but probably too much. And people needed to bring me down a couple of steps. People needed to make me stand on the ground rather than float around. And one or two people said to me, you know, you talk about being a Christian, but the way that you do this or you do that is not what I expect of a Christian. Ooh. That brought me up with a bit of a start. Well... Over a period of time, I started to say less. And gradually, I started to conform. I became more and more, because I wanted to, like everybody else that worked in this. And it was a big office too. And more and more, I found myself instead of ignoring the smutty jokes, laughing at them. 
it got so bad that in, in the end I was actually repeating some of them, much to my shame. Why was it? It was because I wanted to be a popular person. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be involved. You notice it's all I, I, I. But on Saturdays and Sundays, I was a totally different person. At church, I was involved in teaching youngsters in the Sunday school and then later on in the Bible class. I saw loads of the lads that I taught become Christians and were baptised and lots of them are still going on with God and it was just a real buzz and such an exciting time. But hey, I was at Jekyll and Hyde because how I was at the weekend was totally different from how I was at work. I was an adulterous person. I was taking what the world could offer and enjoying that. And at the same time, I was wanting to receive from God and enjoy all that he had. And the only person that really was not happy in all of that was actually me. The spirit that God caused to live in us envies intensely. That's what verse 5 says. When we were saved, God planted his Holy Spirit within us. And he became part of us. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? But it's a bit frightening as well. The Spirit of God is dwelling in me. He's dwelling in you. He's part of you. Wherever we go, whatever we do or say, he's there. But at the same time, God's Spirit knows the heart of God. He knows that God wants us to be faithful and keep our promises. And so he's extremely jealous when we ignore that, when we start doing our own thing, when we do the I want, I want, I want. He's jealous because God wants us completely. He doesn't want to share us and he doesn't want part of us. 
we must not compromise. My question, who are you putting first? It says in verse 6 that God gives us more grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, um, having not preached here ever before, and it's been an awful long while, and you're probably thinking, and I hope it is a long while too, uh, in the future, um, since I have preached. And I got up early this morning, and I was praying, and I started, the idea was that I would rewrite my notes, which I did. And I got to this verse... And I thought, oh, let's, let's stop and let me pray again. Because I really wanted to know what was on the heart of God. And I was quite shocked at suddenly the, the sense of God speaking to me and saying to me, What are your motives as you preach? And do you know, the one thing that I was asking God for was this. Lord, don't let me stand up there and look a right plonker. (laughs) Lord, I don't want to look a fool in front of people. I want people to appreciate me. Yes, it was the I want, I want, I want. And as soon as I realised that, I repented. And I just felt that God gave me his grace. It does say that his grace is only given to the humble. If you've got pride, and I didn't really think I had, then listen to what the Spirit is saying. And if you have, please humble yourself. Because this verse says he gives us more grace, not just a bit but more grace. But hang on, God, I don't deserve it. I haven't done anything to be rewarded by it. That's all right. He gives us more grace. I don't apologise for using personal um, illustrations. I'm sorry if it uh, is not your forte. 
But for me, the word of God has to be real. If it doesn't matter and doesn't mean something to my life, then what's the point of it? Let's read from verse 7 to 10 this time. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, you might laugh, but I think that these verses are an encouragement. It starts off with submitting yourself. Now, when I was a youngster, I used to go to uh, Brent Town Hall and um, ITV used to, used to film all the Saturday wrestling there. And uh, although uh, I wouldn't say it was my greatest um, sport to watch, I did enjoy it. And in wrestling, one of the points is to grab hold of your opponent and put them in some sort of hold or grip and ask them to submit. And generally, if they can't get out of that hold, they haven't got any choice. They submit. Well, the submission here, when it's saying submit yourself then to God, is not by force. You'll be pleased to know. No, it's a submit of your own free will. You've got to do something. So you submit your will to his will. You make him first. Because if you actually think about it, that's what you really want. Okay, so we have to move first. And again, we have to do something because it says that we have to, okay, we have to be proactive in resisting the devil. Yeah, Satan is about and he's wanting us to fail. Constantly, he does not want us to be a witness and he certainly doesn't want our lives to have God as number one. Satan is very, very happy when we are an adulterous people. He's very happy when we are looking around our church and coveting what other people have got. 
He's very happy when we're angry about things. He's very happy when we are not in tune with God. When we're not listening to what his spirit is saying. Another encouragement. If we resist the devil, he will flee. Good news. We're not defeated, we're victorious. Come near to God. How close are you to God in your relationship? I've got um, a bit of a sore Achilles and it's been bothering me ever since I went on holiday last year in November. And at long last... I got an appointment to see a physio and the physio's looked at it and he does some beautiful manipulative treatment to it. Oh, it's lovely. And he puts on this gel and then puts this machine on it and it, it vibrates and, oh, it, I come away feeling as if I've got a different heel. It's fantastic. But the physio says, well, that isn't just enough. What I want you to do is to do these exercises. There's a stretch exercise which I want you to do three times a day and then as a minimum of three, preferably four times a day, I want you to actually do this exercise where you sort of go up on tippy-toe and then take one foot away and then very slowly lower the bad foot and build up to about 20 of them. Well... What a difference. What a difference. It is incredible. But am I stupid or what? Because I find myself forgetting to do my exercises. And all of a sudden, it's six o'clock in the evening and I've only done it once and I should have done it another twice. And I think, ah, oh, okay, fine, as soon as we've had dinner, I'll do it. And about 10 o'clock at night, I suddenly remember that I haven't done it, and I do it once before I go to bed. <coughs> and yesterday, quite simply because I was so involved in preparing finally this, I managed to do it once, much to my shame. Why? I know that it's going to do me good. I know that eventually I won't even have to do these exercises because it will be totally restored and healed. But somehow there's always something that happens that takes my mind off and my focus away from doing what I should be doing. Even though I know it's going to do me good. And isn't it the same in our relationship with God? Isn't it true that we know that if we spend quality time in prayer with him, if we open his word, and we don't just quickly read it, but we actually 
ask God to speak to us through his word? That he will. And we know that it'll do us good. And we know that then when we come on a Sunday, that we'll have things that we can bless others with. But somehow, it doesn't quite work out like that, does it? Or maybe it does for you, but it doesn't always for me, I'm afraid. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. If you know anything about the Jewish religion, washing of hands is not only ceremonial, but it's also something which um, cleanliness is something that is most, most, most important to their way of life. It isn't actually that James is saying, wash your hands. What he's actually saying is, wash your hands, you sinner. What he's wanting us to do is repent. He wants us to be cleansed. Why? Because he wants us to have a pure heart. If you're carrying around baggage of sin that's been unconfessed and you're not wanting to change it, how can your heart be pure? You can't. It's impossible. And last of all, he says in that verse, purify your hearts, you double-minded what are double-minded people they're the people that we've been talking about already they're the people that are adulterous that choose to be a friend of the world that don't want to stand up and stand out and make their mark. Some time ago, I read a book by a guy called Charles Colson, and it was called What's So Amazing About Grace? If you've never read it, I do highly recommend it. After I'd finished the book, and it's probably the only book that I've ever read that caused me to do this, I cried. And I don't just mean a few sobs. I'm talking about crying for some time. I cried great tears of repentance but most of all, tears of relief at finding out that even though God's law says that I had fallen short of God's standard and was therefore a failure, something which I hated, 
that God's grace was sufficient, is sufficient for all of my needs. I'd heard that lots of times before. But there was something in that book that just was a key that unlocked my understanding. God's grace isn't, I had to understand that it's not rationed or apportioned according to my good deeds. Because that's how I'd always viewed it before. I always had to do something in order to earn it. No, I didn't. I just needed to take it on board and accept it and take it as my own. And when I repented, I found myself being very, very, very sad. I was choking with emotion as I looked back over such wasted years and how hurt God must have been at my behaviour. In verse 9 it says, Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I can honestly say that that was my experience. You know, there are other verses in the Bible which seem to almost be totally the opposite to that, don't they? It says that your your, uh, mourning will be turned to joy. But this is saying it the opposite way round. Why? It's because of your double standards. It's because of suddenly you realise how much of the promise that God made to you and you made to God, you've not kept. And how much hurt you've caused God. Are you concerned about that? Just humble yourself before the Lord and let him lift you up. Let's read the next couple of verses. Brothers, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? You want a title for that? Just don't judge others. It's very true that the normal saying is that when you point your finger at someone, there are at least three fingers pointing back at you. Very, very true. I was out walking 
our dog in Elveston Castle one day. And I was praying. It's not always what I do, but I was. And I was having a good old moan. And I was saying, God, I am fed up. There were a couple of people that were annoying and frustrating me. And I was having a good moan about it. Asking God to do something about it. And as clear as clear can be, God spoke to me. And as always, it brought me up a bit quickly. And this is what God said to me. How much are you praying for them? (gasps) But you don't understand, God. They are just out of order. How much are you asking for my blessing upon their lives? Don't judge one another. If you do, you'll find it extremely hard to love them. But when you start to pray for people and you ask God's blessing for them, it's much, much easier to love them. And because time has flown and I can't believe how quickly it's gone, let's just deal with the last few verses. Now listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business making money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag... All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I don't really remember anybody here particularly boasting. I hope you haven't heard me do it either. But this week I was reading uh, the book of Kings and I was reading the story of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a good king. He had God's approval. He did what was good in the eyes of God. And he ruled over the kingdom of Judah, not Israel. And in his lifetime, there was an army from Assyria, a huge army that came and attacked his country. He knew they were coming. And so he did his best to 
make his, the cities in the country strong, made sure all the walls were good, not in disrepair, made sure that I had a water supply into the city. And he also asked Egypt to send an army to help him. The Assyrians arrived and they surrounded and captured all of the cities except Jerusalem, which is where Hezekiah was. It was like the capital. And and the Egyptians hadn't arrived. And Hezekiah did the only thing he could do. He sought God. And God proved that he was a mighty God by sending an angel and slaying 185,000 of the officers and top soldiers of the Assyrians. And they fled and went back to their own country. God moved in the most amazing, miraculous way and proved that he was their God. A little while later, you know, Hezekiah was incredibly grateful to God for that. But a little while later, we read that he played host to the Babylonians. Some dignitaries arrived from Babylon. What did Hezekiah do? He took them around his kingdom and he showed them all the gold and the silver that, he ha- that they had. What was he doing? He was boasting. He was saying, look how good we are. Look at our wonderful cities. Look at this, look at that. And the prophet Isaiah came and said to him, you're a fool. These people will carry off that gold and that silver. It won't be yours. Let's make sure that we involve God in our decision making and in the future for our lives. And that we know the good that we ought to do and make sure we don't sin. Let's pray. I'm going to pray the same prayer that I prayed at the beginning. Lord, open our eyes to see the truth that'll set us free. Lord, what we've heard, help us to hear what your spirit is saying. Take it into our hearts, we pray. Lord, for our minds, that we would understand what your word is saying 
and apply it as necessary to each one of our lives. Because we want to and we need to honour you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.